Well, we are just a week out from the start of the 2024 legislative session here in St. Paul. One big focus will be funding infrastructure and building projects around Minnesota. This comes as the state and federal government are spending more money than ever to help communities build up against the effects of extreme weather. That includes $35 million the Minnesota Pollution Control Agency recently announced for cities to update their stormwater systems for a changing climate. It's the first phase of $100 million in grants that were approved by the legislature last year. Moorhead engineer Bob Zimmerman is one of the city officials around the state who are thinking about how to use those funds. And Heidi Roop is involved in this kind of planning as the director of the University of Minnesota's Climate Adaptation Partnership. They're on the line. Welcome, Heidi and Bob. Hi. Good afternoon. Thanks for being here. Well, Heidi, I'll start with you. We know Minnesota is it's getting warmer and wetter, right? So what are the biggest climate aspects to infrastructure that we expect here in Minnesota? Well, you hit the nail on the head. I think right now in this <laughs> wild and weird winter, um, the postcards yeah. of our climate change world keep on coming, right? Every day mm. I look out in my backyard and think, huh, this is not normal. Mm. <laughs> um, but those warmer, wetter climate conditions um, that we're already experiencing, in addition to what, what is chronic across the Midwest, which is this more frequent transition between flood and drought conditions. These are the hallmarks of our changed climate in Minnesota. And those changes bring uh, spell trouble for our critical infrastructure. Um, and for those scratching your head thinking, what is what do they mean by infrastructure? <laughs> um, we're talking roads, bridges, water systems, stormwater systems. Um, many of the services um, and facilities that we take advantage of and take for granted uh, every single day. Yeah, and the impacts of climate change are really already showing up in our day-to-day lives and all those sort of areas that you mentioned of our infrastructure. And so you and your colleagues actually work with city planners across the state. And what are you hearing from them in terms of their their concerns? Well, the big questions are how do we plan what future do we plan for and how do we afford the upgrades? And I think critically, how do we do it fast enough um, and smart enough uh, with the uncertainty about what the future climate holds, but the very real realities that most of our communities and municipalities are low on capacity, low on resources, and in many cases don't have a plan in place to account for future climate. Uh, Mm. When we look at our publicly owned wastewater treatment and sewer systems in Minnesota, there are around 800 of them that are publicly owned. Mm. Only 6% of those facilities in our state have a plan in place to respond to the impacts of climate change. Uh, So that's only around 31 of those 800 facilities um, are considering or have a plan in place to proactively attempt to manage these impacts. And Bob, I want to bring you in here. I know Moorhead just had sort of an unusual flood warning uh, last month and what's, you know, supposed to be the dead of winter. And you deal with some spring flooding uh, on the Red River pretty routinely. But how could climate change impact the, the city's infrastructure in the future? Well, thanks for having me. And you're absolutely right. Uh, extremely odd situation this past this past month where we had three inches of rain. Hmm during the winter and that's and i've never seen that before and it really sort of changes your focus on on what do we expect as we move forward Mm -hmm. as you'd mentioned we're being in the red river valley we're sort of infamous or famous i'm not sure which for (laughs) river flooding events 
and have spent a lot of time working to mitigate the impacts of river flooding. But th this, this effort uh, is really more focused on what we call the other type of flooding. And that's where we get these very intense rainstorms normally during the spring and summer and fall and what that can do to infrastructure. It's not so much the impacts just on the storm sewer, but the impacts that carry over to other infrastructure like sanitary sewer and streets and potential risks to private property and public property. So th this effort is in our mind, extremely timely in, in that this is an issue that's been hanging out there for a long time and I think climate change is sort of bringing bringing it to uh, to the forefront where we can start to uh, deal with that and plan for it. Yeah, and I imagine when Bob you work sort of, you know, hand in hand with uh, citizens of the area where you live all the time, you probably see the really the real life effects some of which you mentioned, but this really impacts people's daily lives, right? It sure does. And and I think the state's grant program to help some of this planning get underway and now the state's program to uh, to help to start to fund some of these projects will definitely have a, a real impact on people's lives in that there are opportunities now with those resources for us to study and evaluate what we need to do for some of these systems, some of these infrastructure systems that have been, have been in place for you know, 50, 60, maybe in some cases, 100 years. Yeah. Heidi, I just want to zoom out a bit. What are some of the possible solutions that you all are looking at for just communities to be able to withstand some of the extreme weather? And then, like, is it too late? I mean, is this something that could have gotten going a little bit sooner? What are your thoughts there? Well, as a climate scientist, of course, we <laughs> would love if we had done things sooner, but yeah. we are where we are um, and we need to get plans in place. I think that's an important starting point. Um, but certainly given the urgency and the stress on systems and, you know, as Bob's mentioned, the many of our stormwater systems and other critical infrastructure are reaching the end of what we call their useful life. Mm -hmm. um, so are in need of upgrades. Um, I think the main thing we need to think about um, as we do any of these investments, small or large, in in any form of infrastructure is that we're factoring future climate into the design mm. um, of this infrastructure. Um, I know a lot of folks say, well, that's so expensive. Um, there are, of course, costs to system failure, um, not just financial, but on communities and the health and well-being um, of our communities. Um, there's impacts on commerce and the economy. Um, so I think, what are the solutions? There's, there's planning. Um, there's partnering in ways that make sure that say, organizations like mine are providing useful and usable science um, where it's most needed so that you can size systems appropriately for a future climate. Um, and I think there are a range of, of different solutions in combination that think about how we not only upgrade our infrastructure, but bring COVID benefits like tree plantings and green roofs, thinking about permeable pavement, other strategies that say keep water out of our stormwater and wastewater systems, um, but in the ground and, and serving our landscapes and ecosystems. So there's a whole range of things. And we also know um, in our state for every dollar invested in natural climate solutions like those I mentioned, um, we can receive a benefit of around $8.55 um, by mid-century. And that's from a study uh, produced by the Nature Conservancy last year. And what do you see as some of the, the barriers to making those types of solutions happen? 
Well, I think, as I said before, we there are a lot of gaps, both in budgets and staffing and time. Um, wow. It's not a, you know, saying make a plan is actually um, a, a very large undertaking, uh, making a plan that factors in future climate risk, um, probably even a further challenge. I know Bob can speak to the efforts um, that they've gone through to actually do this planning um, to position themselves for implementation. Um, but really, it's access to information, but critically funding, um, even wow. if you know what parts of your system are failing, where are the resources to proactively manage those risks, and how do we spread that over time? Um, very few communities can rip up all their roads and stormwater systems, um, but how do we get things in place to do iterative upgrades and resizing of our infrastructure for our climate change future? Yeah, it's a lot to tackle and it impacts everybody. Bob, I don't know if you communicate with people from other cities who are in a similar role as you, but what, what do you say, what do you all talk about or what advice do you give one another? Well, you know, I think the 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 approach is maybe changing uh, a little bit from what it might have been years ago where before we, and we do now, we have a very detailed computer model of our system and mm. we can run different kinds of events and look at the flooding that takes place throughout the city. And years ago, we might have approached a problem like this and just said, well, we have street flooding. That's a problem. We just need to upsize the pipe, put a bigger pipe in. Well, as Heidi mentioned, that's really expensive and mm. probably not manageable. So we sort of change the focus now to what is, you know, what is the risk? So, okay, we have a big rain event. The storm sewer can't handle all of that rain for a period of time. We have some street flooding what's the risk associated with that in this particular location is it does it affect a home or a public structure does it actually cause damage to that structure sure. or is it in this particular intersection maybe it's a you know it's a short-term flooding maybe an hour or two the intersection's flooded you almost think about it like a blizzard in a sense when there's when a blizzard comes we stay off the roads and we're inconvenienced for a few hours but hmm. we don't necessarily have damage well in this case if we can manage the risk to those places where we do have damage then we can try to approach it at the most reasonable cost i mean it's still going to be costly but at least we can focus our efforts a little bit better and lastly, just Heidi, are there any specific areas of the state that you um, point toward the most or have the most concern about? Does it have to do with maybe how close you are to different bodies of water? That's a good question. I think every part of the state is facing its own combination of climate risks. Um, we have hundreds of thousands of facilities and roads and commercial buildings at risk of flooding alone um, as just isolating one impact. So um, I think, you know, I, I worry about everywhere. Um, but if I were to hone in, I think one of the, the things we need to really factor in as we think about how we resource communities, how we make sure there's sufficient implementation dollars and planning is that our smaller communities across the state often carry a heavy, heavier burden for system failures and system upgrades. Sure. Um, sure. So, right, if you think infrastructure is above your pay grade, just know that the costs of climate change on our infrastructure are often borne by us, ratepayers mm. and taxpayers. And so that is especially sure. true in the absence of proactive state and municipal investments. So I think mm -hmm. we need to be thinking critically about how we resource our smaller communities because the burden of, of actually having facilities is often borne disproportionately by those communities when it comes down to dollars and cents. Thank you for that. Bob Zimmerman, Moorhead City Engineer, and Heidi Roop, Director of the University of Minnesota's Climate Adaptation Partnership. Thank you both so much for your work and for coming on. Thank you. Thank you.